It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Who they think you're going to beat them Bengals? It is the Locked On Bengals podcast with your hosts Joe Goodberry and Jake Lisko. Find us on Twitter at Joe Goodberry and at Jake underscore NFL. Please like, subscribe, and share as we try to grow this community and pump out daily Bengals content just for you. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. Today, our episode is brought to you by Abco Safety. Check them out as we've discussed the last week or so at abcosafety.com to check out a wide variety of safety and industrial gear from a distributor located in Cincinnati. They're currently offering a 15% off discount on your first order if you mention Lockdown Abco when you call. So without further ado, we'll get into the episode. Today, we're going to discuss the wide receiver question. The Bengals didn't draft a wide receiver. They came out of the draft with a tight end in a spot where apparently a lot of people thought a wide receiver might have been a better pick. They have an undrafted free agent in Stanley Morgan, who we talked about yesterday. And we'll, we'll talk about what that might mean for the roster going forward. Joe put a couple polls up on the Lockdown Bengals Twitter account today about who the most important first and second round pick from the last four years will be with regards to the Bengals' success in 2019. And finally, we'll talk about some expectations for the season, what a likely outcome for the season might look like, what a good outcome will look like, and what a below-expectations outcome for the season might look like. And I think those all tie together, right? Uh, in terms of not drafting a receiver because of John Ross and Tyler Boyd, both fit in the first and second round of our poll questions. Uh, and thinking of how those first and second rounders, man, a lot of them are guys that are going to be carrying a heavy load this year, besides Drew Sample, which was reflected in the voting. But uh, those guys are important. And it, I don't expect, we shouldn't expect all eight to hit their stride in the, this year and, and, and take this team to new heights. But if six of the eight do, if five of the eight do, this is a different roster, and you feel differently about those positions, I think, if, if they do. And maybe one of them or two of them already have in Tyler Boyd and Joe Mixon. But uh, point being is if they all play to their abilities or what we think they, they can be, that's kind of best-case best case scenario, and, and, and that'll be talked about in the third segment. It's interesting with Drew Sample in there in the mix with Tyler Boyd, Joe Mixon, and Jesse Bates because those are all second-round picks that have been absolutely nailed, and it took Tyler Boyd a few years, but he got there. Anyway. Right. We'll come back to that. We're going to focus on wide receiver first. The Bengals didn't draft a wide receiver, and this got me thinking about, yes, it's a vote of confidence in John Ross. It's a vote of confidence in Tyler Boyd. And to a lesser degree, I think it's a vote of confidence for the receivers at the back end of the roster as well that we talked about yesterday. The Josh Malones, the Cody Cores, maybe mm-hmm. the Stanley Morgans. I don't know. They, didn't, they couldn't have known they were going to get them. So does that mean that they just have a lot of faith in those top three guys and Alex Erickson you can throw in as well? Does it mean maybe instead, and this is my hypothesis right now with the emphasis on the run game and the LA offense, which doesn't necessarily ask a lot from individual players, maybe less so on the offensive line than at skill positions. Mm Mm-hmm. Is it just an indication that the direction the offense is going, wide receiver, is just a less valuable position for the Zach Taylor offense? 
because the Bengals have valued the receiver position, right? I, I mean, yeah, think about it. all the way back from Chad John and even for Chad. And I mean, the, the guys Peter in the late nineties. Yeah. And Peter work was a high pick. I, they've Carl consistently, Pickens. yeah. They've consistently put in resources and not just, you know, signing guys too. Cause I'm thinking of T.O. and Lavernius Coles and, and Antonio Bryant. Right. And, yeah. uh, they and, but they have, yeah, but they have, put heavy money into the receiver position and draft picks. And here we are on the verge of AJ green, seeing a rare third contract, right? So their value of those guys may still be very high, but I think once you've already invested two top 10 picks, uh, you have maybe a verge hall of famer in, in AJ green, plus a premium pick as a second round slot guy, a slot guy. Second round is about as high as you're ever going to take a, a slot receiver. So they have spent the, the absolute premium at the receiver position Maybe they felt it was definite time to invest in those other areas. And I think the the thought process has always been you surround Andy Dalton with talent, you will get the most production out of him. And but while is, is wide receiver the most important piece of talent for Andy to Dalton that. to be surrounded by? So for sure, with a- AJ Green has bailed Andy Dalton out a lot, you would say, in his mm-hmm. career, right? With his ability to control his body along the sideline. Yep. But since since you have AJ Green, and maybe, maybe this is why, since you have AJ Green, you have the one guy you can lean on when you need to force a ball somewhere. Tyler Eifert, to a lesser degree, if he's healthy too, right? Maybe maybe that's part of the evaluation too. You, you're just banking on well, if those guys go down, a rookie isn't going to fill the shoes, right? Think about tight end. I mean, you've got a first rounder in Eifert, and then you resigned him this year. You resigned uh, CJ Ozama, who's been your most consistent guy the last three years because of injuries. Uh, but you know, you, you valued him, and then you spent a second round pick. So, I mean, talent wise, that tight end is as strong as anyone in the league, right? In in, in terms of investment. Uh, so then, now at receiver, you've got two premium picks at. Re- I mean, at running back now, you got two premium picks at running back. On the offensive line now, you yeah. have a first-rounder. you got a, a number 11 pick you just inserted after a uh, first-rounder last year at center. Yeah, I guess they everybody have, on the offense at this point yeah. is at this point, a first-second-round pick, except yeah. for John Miller and Bobby Hart. Third-rounder for, for Miller and uh, fourth-rounder for, for Bowling, uh, second-rounder for Cordy Glenn, and they gave up almost a second-round value to get Glenn also, and are paying him $10 million. They are investing and making big investments on the offensive side of the ball and it's kind of funny because i think we were so defensive focused going into the draft at least a lot of people were thinking how bad that unit was and here we go they spend two of their first three picks on offense come back with a quarterback the next pick and then take an offensive lineman in that round too so they went heavy on on the offense but to get back to receiver so they they still i think value it but here's the difference in a ram style offense versus what the bengals have typically done recently and i think it's a big one i i loved your point on are, do they see it as a lesser of of importance in this offense? And I don't know if it's that, but I do think the Bengals previously would line the receivers up and say, okay, go win with your talent. So we need top talent guys. AJ, you're running a comeback route. That's it. I mean, we're not going to vary it up at all. We're not going to stack you with yeah. Tyler Boyd. We're not going to bring you in motion. We're not going to do anything go crazy. Go win your individual matchup. Go, win, the, go run, win this comeback route. And – I'll be honest. He, yeah, he's a all-world receiver. But you, the more you help these guys, the more production you're going to get. The better they're going to look. And you watch the Rams' offense, and those guys are constantly in motion. They're constant, constantly in condensed formations. They're constantly stacked behind each other, and it just gives them more space to run, more room to operate. And so I looked up on Next Gen Stats on NFL.com today uh, to see if there was any correlation there with how the Bengals' receivers are getting separation and versus the Rams. So I looked it up, and AJ Green. At the catch point, average two yards of separation. That's that a really small number, right? Very, it's near the bottom. John Ross, 2.2 yards per separation. Uh, Tyler Boyd, 2.9 yards at, at the catch guy. point. I wonder how slot that guy. compares so to the other slot guys. It's probably on the low end for slot guys. It is. And so, okay, so the Bengals are on the low end of all this. The Rams now. Brandon Cooks, their lowest guy, 2.7. Okay. Robert Woods, 3.0. Josh Reynolds, 3.0. Cooper Cup at slot. 3.5. So they, I would say lesser talents across the board. I, I think the Bengals are more talented at receiver. Now, even though the Rams have a really good trio, I think they've, they've become higher regarded since they've gotten there. <laughs> you remember last year, the best trio in the league, or the best duo in the league maybe it was with Robert Woods and Brandon Cooks. I don't even know if they included Cooper Cup when I they when they made that. that proclamation. And I yeah. was just sitting there like, what are you, what are you doing? What, what are right. we doing, NFL? 
And I like anyway. all three of the receivers. Yeah. But there's They're a reason. They're all five players. Yeah. There's a reason Cooks is on his third team. It's a reason uh, Robert Woods wasn't valued in Buffalo when they needed receivers. And Cooper Cup is seen as a slot guy. And really, I don't know if the, if the Rams don't draft him where they do, where he ends up going in that draft. Point being, you give me A.J. Green, John Ross, and Tyler Boyd in that same situation, I feel pretty good about it. And if you can up their yards of separation, it's going to make it easier for the receiver to make the catch, secure it, not deal with the drops. Okay, so I went a little bit further, too, after that. And uh, I know I'm getting a little long-winded here. I don't want to lose you guys. But the percentage of throws into tight windows or coverage in 2018, I looked at Andy Dalton and Jeff Driscoll, Andy Dalton, 17% of his throws were in the tight windows. Jeff Driscoll, 21% of his throws were in tight windows. Not saying that that's better or worse. But well, Driscoll was throwing a lot without A.J. Green, too, right? So that and he was, that a little bit. he was rifling it into Tyler Boyd in that slot, man, those couple <laughs> yeah. of games. So, yeah. I mean, he was getting Boyd killed a little bit. I loved it, but, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, longevity, that's not going to work. Anyways, in comparison with Goff, so Dalton, 17%. Jared Goff, 13.2% of his throws, and that's near the bottom of the league. So yeah. he wasn't. And Pat Mahomes is near the bottom of the league, too. So these offenses that scheme the receivers open, they're not throwing in the tight windows because they are they don't have to. Yeah, that's, you look at Kansas City's offense, too. It's not like Kansas City, which is a totally different type of offense. They had Tyreek Hill and, and Kelsey. Well, yeah, Sammy Watkins. I forgot about him. It's a good trio when you look at it that way. I knew Sammy we were going. Watkins like, still wasn't that productive. He's, he's never, never going to live up to, the, to his draft position. No, never. although he did have maybe one season, yep. I don't even remember anymore. Anyway, and so last bit of data I, I looked up and wanted to see and compare was the average time from the snap to the throw. You'll hear it referred to as time to throw. I'm still in next gen stats here, not on PFF because they have that also. Andy Dalton was 2.61 seconds. That was the fifth fastest in the league, so he's getting the ball out the fifth fastest. Jared Goff, known for being a mental processor with a quick release, very similar to Dalton, but the scheme is different. He was the sixth longest holding the ball at wow. 2.94 seconds. So they're because allowing these play action, and they're allowing these these plays to develop downfield, spreading out defenses, yeah. attacking vertically and horizontally. You're opening, you're opening windows. You're making easier throws. You think, think about the 30-yard dig yep. that, that's a staple in the Rams' offense. And when I say that, I mean it's, it's just a, a run diagonal for 30 yards down the field and catch it yep. on the opposite sideline. Yep. So Maybe my conclusion else. is these guys are going to be much better just for, from a scheme you hope. right? If, if, if it, they can implement it the same exactly. way that Sean McVay implemented it. And you see, yeah, it's actually interesting. You listen to Sean McVay talk just this offseason. He said, they're, they're, I don't remember what they said they were changing. But he was talking about, you know, we need to innovate. We need to change some things because I think maybe he realized once you get to the playoffs when you're that – predictable that you know you're you're running first you're getting play action that'll work all regular season long but once the team has a couple weeks of game plan for you yep and that that person game planning for you is bill belichick i guess so you want to be more diverse so the Bengals have that i think in their background they still can yeah, put aj totally. green out on an island and, and iso him and say listen go win one-on-one right or run tyler boyd on a 20 yard or sorry tyler tyler eifert on a 20 yard i was gonna seam say route and throw it at the linebackers nameplate I think the fourth receiver is, is Tyler Eifert. And you look at how often he was lined up last year at receiver rather than tight end. He was taking about 65% of his snaps at wide receiver. You, they can still go 11 personnel if we count Eifert as a receiver and Drew Sample be that other tight end. Or maybe know. it's Uzama. I don't know if I'd let Tyler Eifert line up with his hand on the ground all year. Right. That's what I mean. I, we should almost think of Eifert as a receiver at this point. For as how much as he lined up there last year, for the questions we still all have about John Ross – if it's Green, Boyd, Eifert, and you pick between Uzama and Sample at the other tight end spot, I think you've got good weapons there. And I think that gives you a bit of an advantage to the Rams who didn't have that Eifert-type guy. Yeah. Now, they, they like their tight ends for whatever they were worth, but Eifert gives you mismatch problems. They give you He gives you an, uh, an X factor, uh, a guy you can put out there and say, all right, defense, declare what you're doing based on who goes to cover him. So That uh, and nobody seems to be able to cover him when he's actually out there. Yeah, when he's healthy, he is one of the uncoverable players, maybe the most on this offense. I would say so. Overall, Especially with the, what they asked of A.J. Green lately. And then, like I was saying, here, go win this 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 comeback, this out route. And they weren't giving him any type of help until they started putting him in the slot, which is really when he, I thought, looked his best. I mean, the thing is, any any receiver in the NFL is coverable by somebody, sometimes. Right. 
Like AJ Green might win 80% of his routes against man coverage or whatever. Matt Harmon probably has this information. He does, 72%. 72% against man? I saw it today, yep. Okay, well, that's timely. Uh, Tyler Tyler Eifert, you see the way, and, uh, and I mentioned this, you see the way Andy Dalton throws to Tyler Eifert in the seam, and it's literally, if I can see the tight end's nameplate, I'll just throw it at his numbers, and Tyler Eifert will pick it off his back. Most of his tight window throws, and I've looked at him through his career, are to Tyler Eifert over the middle. Like, he just trusts yeah. him to because make the adjustment, and he will he can he place does. it. And it's a shorter throw, so you you don't have to put so much into right. it. You feel more accurate doing it. You feel more confident doing it. You're yeah. throwing against a linebacker and a safety. You should feel good about that. You can throw it right off a linebacker's head and feel pretty good that you're, that Tyler Eifert's going to make the catch. And Eifert so, has ridiculous ball skills. Yeah. So when you think of it that way, it makes the sample pick look better, right? Because I do think Eifert really is a receiver. And if he, at that point then, if Sample is your number two tight end and and Nuzama's the number one, and Nuzama wasn't great last year by all metrics. He was just serviceable and versatile, I think, is his best attributes. Uh, Sample could be playing a lot this year. Yeah. I mean, no matter who that fifth guy is, you would think that this offensive guru coaching staff that has been put together, at least the three quarterbacks coaches, would be yeah. able to pretty easily think of ways to get that fifth guy open, if it's Sampler, if it's Uzama, because right. he's going to have the easiest matchup almost always out of right. the if, – if Eifert's your fourth guy. Right. I, and we're not including – I mean, T- Todd Gurley's getting 100 targets in that Rams offense. What should Really? Joe, yeah, what should Joe Mixon get? Give him 80. Yeah, I'm happy. I know, right? <laughs> so, you know, you'd like to – and, and maybe it's because – Maybe Gurley's getting the tight end targets that they don't have, really. I think so. so must be. Right. So maybe we cut those down a little bit because, I mean, at the end of the day, how can you give everyone? Because their receivers also were on pace for all of them getting over 100 targets also. And they're, and they're a run-first team. And you're going you're gonna to – and they somehow manage, what, 550 – yeah, no. They get more plays off than a lot of teams. They that's get high-end efficiency in production, and that's key. Well, that's – Probably a good segue into our poll questions. What do you think? Maybe. <laughs> yeah. So the poll question was, they started off with the first round, looking at the last four first round picks. And because I think all of them could have a huge impact based on their development and, and readiness in the in the case of Jonah Williams. But I asked, which of the four last, last four first round picks has a bigger impact on the success of the 2019 Cincinnati Bengals? And that's obviously Jonah Williams. John Ross, Billy Price, William Jackson. That's not in order, but you know what I mean. Uh, for me, I voted for uh, William Jackson because I think if Jackson can take a step to be a elite corner the way he looked the first, his first year starting, but I think once you get tape, and he dealt with something last year. He looked a little hobbled at times, especially early in the year. I think if Jackson turns into a cornerback one, which I think he can be, it makes this defense much better and different and that impact reverberates throughout the entire defense, the weakest side of the field, I think, for them, and especially if it goes the way we think it'll go. So for me, I voted for Jackson. Jackson was Jackson was my third choice. Okay. I think I think Billy Price was my first choice because he was actually he he was he was bad. He was worse than Bodine as a rookie, right. and he wasn't healthy. He right. needs to be at least Bodine because you see how many plays the Bengals lost when it was Bodine and, yeah. and, and price was worse. And, and Bodine really sunk that offense at times. And there are other issues along the offensive line. I think the reason I ended up voting for price is because I have expectations that Jonah Williams can come in and be at least, you know, average their to best. maybe slightly below average his rookie I year. Think, I think he can step in and be their best offensive line. Sure. I, that's average. <laughs> that's yeah. all you got to do right. to be their best You're offensive right. lineman right now. <laughs> William Jackson, I have a high amount of faith in that he's going to be at least plus, right? He's going to be at least above average, if not good. Mm-hmm. I think he'll be at least good. John Ross, I think if he takes a step, that could make a really big impact, but they already have A.J. Green and Tyler Boyd as weapons one and two. And, and that's as t- why as l- as I almost voted for Yeah, I almost voted for Ross, too. Ross was my second choice. Right. For me, and it goes Price, for Ross, the Jackson, said. Jo- Jonah. The reasons you said with Ross, if he does take that step, right? I mean, you've right. got three fantastic receivers. You're, you're and 2015 that would be, weapons. You're, you're that at the same, be, if not better, level. 
Yeah. I mean, that I think that gets you into the playoffs, right? Like having those three guys to where your offense is that good. Well, maybe. I mean, they, they haven't ever had that quality of weapons with this bad of an offensive line. And, and maybe the offensive line is going to take a step. So if the offensive line is average, which you hope it is with the level of investment that they put into it, and they also have 2015-level weapons and 2015-level coaching in terms of scheming guys open and playing to Andy Dalton's strengths, then sure, you can have a playoff caliber offense and we'll talk about this maybe this is the segue to the second half of the show a little bit that's one yeah. of the good scenarios is that all that clicks what about right, the second half? well think about that what there's a chance three out of four of those guys click right in let's if it's positive scenario all four bad scenario is one of them right so we'll get to that again but so second round was the other question and the other poll and i think second round has been as successful if not more than the first round yeah maybe more successful Looking than at the these first round. eight names yeah, there. I would take the second rounders. Yeah, and maybe they, uh, maybe they'll have. An Actually, no, I one. wouldn't. I take it back. It's William Jackson and Jonah Williams versus Tyler Boyd, Mixon, and Bates. It's two on three. Right. I see what you're saying. And the two on the left on the first round could be higher impact premium yeah. players. Yeah, player they're more important positions. positions. Yeah, because I was gonna say slot receiver, safety, running back, number two blocking tight end. Are any of those even important? Who is the most important out of all those? Jesse Bates? Bates, easy. Right. And that's what makes it interesting looking at it because this ran away. 76%. We didn't say what happened in the first round. 39% went for Jonah Williams. 26% for William Jackson. 19% for John Ross. Only 15% for Billy Price. Second round went 76% Joe Mixon. I was shocked. And I know he's thought of as you know this young fun energetic guy he's really good he led the AFC running rush, back right but he is a running back i can't believe like joe mixon was good last year yeah he could be used so much more in the passing game and i hope he is but he was good last year and look what their record was like he really it, you look around the league running back success individually one success of one running back does nothing for you in terms of wins and losses it you have to run the ball to be a good efficient offense. You want to run it to close out games, but one individually having success does nothing yeah. in terms of wins and losses. Running so. is a product of your team and your scheme more than it's a product of your running back. And you know what? I'm surprised at the first round too. I'm surprised so few people were on on Billy Price. Although mm. I do recognize that centers maybe less. It's center is definitely less important than tackle and and corner, but. Right. Price was he was worse than than Bodine and people hated Bodine and blamed Bodine for everything that went wrong on the offense. Right, and I think if Price has the actual, if I were to rank the first rounders who I think could actually hit their ceiling, I think Price is the one. I'd list him. You know, I think Jackson and Jonah can. I'd list him number three, but that's not a slight, just because I think Ross has shown more issues so far. Yeah. Uh, so I think Price could actually hit his ceiling, which isn't high, but it gets him over where Bodine was, and it's now better than get, average. Yeah. If you get Jonah and Price to hit their ceiling this year or close to it, give you serviceable or or average level play, your offense is completely different already, in my opinion. So yeah. back to second That's round. Uh, sample, Drew Sample got the least amount of votes. I thought that would be obvious. He had 2%. Tyler Boyd was number two at 12%. Jesse Bates at 10%. Because I think people thought Bates was already good. That's my that's me inferring the results here and saying, well, how much better could he be? What kind of impact would that actually make on the defense? Uh, but then so was Boyd. Boyd was also good. So these, this second round interests me more. I voted for uh, Tyler Boyd, actually, because I think Boyd yeah. taking another step again or maybe just playing the way he did last year, all 16 games, his impact on Andy Dalton was huge last year. It's I huge. think yeah. when when they were breaking down and plays were breaking down, and, and I applauded Andy Dalton, especially the first four weeks, man. The way he kept his eyes up, moved in the pocket, found his second, third target. A lot of time that was Tyler Boyd, and Boyd was the one breaking free, finding open space, and getting to it. Slot receivers have that knack, man, in them. And him and him and Dalton had a great repertoire instantly. I wrote about it for The Athletic because I think in previous years, and yes, Sanu was a really good slot guy, but you could see when Dalton would try to make something happen, he would quickly turn into, ah, I'm just a runner, no one's going to find me, or guys are just standing around, didn't know what to do. It's kind of a, I don't know whose fault that is, because sometimes receivers... If you're playing for Patrick Mahomes, you think the play is never over. We've when talked about Man- this. It's a cycle. It is. It is. You're right. And so I think if Boyd is on the team and do and is the number two receiver, or even sometimes the number one, playing the way he did last year, yeah. I think that has the the biggest impact on the most important position on this team, and that's quarterback. 
I'm with you. I voted for Boyd as well, although Bates was really close because if Bates becomes Ed Reed, then you suddenly can make your offense or sorry, your defense and you can shape it around your safety because Ed Reed totally transforms the game. Uh, You could say the same thing for Earl Thomas right now. If he if he is that good of a free safety, then you can take away a third of the field. and, And he has that. That's his best case scenario, right? Right. Speaking of best case scenarios, best case scenario for you being safe at work. Well, that's Abco Safety. We've talked a lot this week and last week about a few really cool products they're promoting in terms of fall safety. These all come from 3M, the X5000 Secure Fit Safety Helmet, the DBI Solid Nano Lock, and the Protective Full Body Harness Line. These all go together to keep you safe if you're in any situation where there's a fall risk. They're all ANSI compliant, and they're compliant in particular the DBI Solid Nano Lock, compliant with Class A and B standards. So compliant with safety codes across the board. Joe and I were just checking out some other cool stuff around the site. If you need steel toe boots, they have steel toe boots. I know Joe said he goes through two pairs a year. Yeah, They have some you know, pretty cool looking gloves too. You know, yeah, that's what I was going to say. You know what I was just looking at? Because I was sanding something with my hand sander recently. So it, does, it doesn't have to be at work, but they have anti-vibration gloves. I was looking at those. Oh, wow. That, yeah, that would help. Just the thought of anti-vibration gloves. You know what? Speaking of gloves... When I was young, my first job was working in my dad's factory. And one of my jobs was loading 50-pound pails full of Krispy Kreme donut filling onto pallets to get them ready to ship. And they would come off hot. It was just filled with hot Krispy Kreme donut filling in this bucket. And you, Sounds you would, great. Yeah, right? You, you, would, you had to flip them to stack them up because the bigger part of the pail was the top of it. So you'd flip them and stack them. And you hold the handle and you'd flip it. And before I knew to wear gloves, I just would drag my hand across this hot plastic and just rip the skin right off right off my knuckles. So I learned to wear gloves pretty quickly. And if you need a pair of those, I'm sure they have them at Abco Safety. They have tens of pages of work gloves. So go check those out on abcosafety.com. Give them a call at 513-672-1818. Mention Locked on Abco when you call to get 15% off your first order. It'll support a local business in Cincinnati and it'll support the podcast. Joe and I will be right back to talk about good, bad, and realistic outcomes for the 2019 Bengals season. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Welcome back to the Lockdown Bengals podcast. We've got a few different subjects today. We talked receivers. We talked the difference in the receiver position for the Rams offense or, or a new Bengals offense, we should say. Uh, we went over poll questions on the Lockdown account on Twitter, which was first round and second round recent picks and the impact we expect them to have in 2019 on this Bengals team. And now we're going to transition over to how those picks are going to have a big impact on our next our next topic here is the best case, worst case, and probably the most expected case scenario for the Bengals in 2019. And I think let's start with the worst case and get through it quick because I think it's probably the simplest of all of these scenarios. And it involves injuries. It involves coaching staff not clicking. It involves yep. guys like Billy Price not taking a next step, Jesse Bates having a sophomore slump. We don't want to spend too much time dwelling on these things, right? We don't want to right. we don't want to think about those and put those ideas into the universe and have them become things that I, materialize. I think we're all aware of them though. That's uh, that's why yeah. we don't have to spend that's time it. because it's I mean, very we've possible. Seen it the last few years, right? Where yeah. they they stumble out of the gates or last year they came out of the gates hot and then they got injured and then they win a couple games down the stretch and so they're not even drafting in a premier spot. Yeah, and that was with a coach that you felt like you knew the baseline. We talk about floor and ceiling with prospects a lot, but with with Marvin Lewis, we felt like we had a high floor at least. You would you wouldn't lose less than seven, or you wouldn't win less than seven games in most years. I mean, they had a couple times over fifteen years, really. So you knew you'd get somewhat uh, some level play, but with a new staff, you really 
you don't know. You hope it's going to be better. We we you know, we, we can convince ourselves that a lot of things should be better because of a new staff. We can look at the old staff and say there's a lot of reasons why they got less play out of good talent. But the truth is this could be a scenario where it's the wrong coach or wrong mixture of coaches and also a transition year, as we've seen plenty of times with a, with a first-year head coach. And in that scenario, if things don't click right out, right, right away, if, if they're still finding their footing and we're halfway through the year before they find it, this is could be a year, and there's a lot of projections, and you can bet bet right now on their over-under win-loss totals and where they're going to be picking. You see mock drafts for next year, and it has them picking top five. So that is – I don't want to say the expected, but I do think that is the worst-case scenario that they're picking top five. I just think that worst case maybe instead of it being a 10% chance, maybe a 20 to 25% chance. I think that Vegas for the last few years has had Vegas, has had the Bengals picking top five. Vegas yeah. has seen this dramatic fall off with the Bengals. And in order to invite action on them, they're setting the over-unders in such a way that they're enticing. Last yeah. year, it was what, five and a half? It was six and a half. Six and a half. And everybody slammed the over, right? Because it was right. Marvin Lewis, they're going to win seven games. Right, exactly. The same argument I just made is I was on a radio spot they had me on in Vegas, and I said hit the over on that because they don't they don't go under. And when they started off, what was it five and one? I was like, yeah, they're gonna hit this easy. Yeah, and then they didn't. Right? They won. Right? Six. They did not. They yeah. did not hit it. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that that is the bad case. I think that because all the mocks right now are based on Vegas Super Bowl odds, and the Bengals odds to win the Super Bowl is is like third worst in the NFL going right. into the season and Arizona is up there too. Uh, there's one other team that just got a quarterback. Miami, Miami. is the other one. Yep. Yeah. Right. Uh, so the, that's why everybody has the Bengals picking Justin Herbert. That I think is the worst case. I think there's too much talent on the team. And I, and I don't think this is just homerism. I think when you have guys like Carlos Dunlap, Geno Atkins, AJ green, and then that's those are the cornerstones, right? And then William Jackson, Jesse Bates, you can talk about as well. Hopefully, Carl Lawson. So they have these foundational pieces that can cover, that can rush the passer. You have hope for the offensive line. It's hard to see with Andy Dalton, AJ Green, them being much worse than a six win team, which they were last year. And I think we can all agree last year was one of the worst case scenarios. Everything yeah. fell apart. The defense took. 10 weeks to figure it out yep. in a way that we haven't seen under Marvin Lewis. And the defense could have issues again this year. Cause right, there's, no Marvin Lewis. there's no Marvin Lewis to come in and clean it up. If, right. if it's another, you know, Lou Anarumo is the same issue with the, the players on the team as Terrell Austin was. Yeah. And I, I also wonder if last year was a worst case. And if I, I think of it a little bit differently as, um, with this talent, that's your worst case. You know what I mean? That, like you're going to win yeah. six games. It's it's going to be even if things start to get a little bit derailed, or they and they make the wrong hires, or they or the wrong coaching staffs, or wrong decisions on who they're going to play, or development doesn't you know hit the stride we expect. Um, yeah, I think there's still a six win team, which is going to put them between picking eight and twelve again, and you know that's probably bordering on the low end of expected. I think there is a a very good chance that it takes six weeks or so before they hit their stride. And in that time frame, they're two and four and then they come back and they end up seven and nine and that's completely fine. And then they're picking between, you know, 10 and 20. And uh, I think that is a, a more likely of the expectations, I believe. Yeah. Let's get into the likely stuff in just a second here. I will say before we get there, that the, the true worst case is a, is, is injury based and you can't predict that, but if of course. they, if they lose, Andy Dalton in week one. Right. And you're running Ryan Finley out there. Well, then now suddenly you're the Cardinals. Unless he's Dak Prescott and then, you know, you win games. But that is then a you're one. Eight and eight, yeah. Right. That's a one. In a, well, they they made the playoffs running behind Ezekiel Elliott and Dak. Remember, that was pretty fun. Um, okay. But still, it's a very low. <laughs> I'm talking low percentage stuff. I just just putting out there a high end of the worst case scenarios. But yeah, you lose Dalton week one or week two, three, four or five, anything in the first six weeks, 
your season is likely bordering on picking one or two or three in the draft. And and let's just move on now to the expectation, the, the realistic case maybe, because we don't want to put too much injury juju out into the world. We hope that all these players stay healthy because when they stayed healthy the last time in 2015, that's the best team Marvin Lewis has probably ever coached in the NFL. Completely healthy that year. If you look back, to, until yeah. Andy Dalton was hurt, they were off you know, 11 starters and really they had about 13 starters that, that year in offense. They were it, all playing. And it's funny because Bengals fans love to hate the medical staff. It's the same. It was the same medical staff until now. I think there's been some turnover in the strength and conditioning room, but people love it's to hate luck. on that staff. Yeah, it's luck. It's pure luck. It, the only Maybe time I ever... Luck, but mostly luck, right. yeah. The only time I ever is when they say, oh, this guy should just miss a couple weeks and then he misses the rest of the year. We've seen that with A.J. Green, right? It's like, are you guys being truthful or are you incompetent? Because I hope it's just that you're trying to be protective of the player or our hopes and dreams and fun of the season rather than you actually think he can be back in two weeks when we find out in two months that it was ripped off the bone or Andy Dalton's thumb injury. Oh, yeah, he might be able to play in the playoffs and he doesn't take, get the cast off until the Pro Bowl week. It's like he was never going to play. What are you guys doing? Well, you know, that's the only time I ever question it, really. I think that that could just be, you know, speaking in the wide range of outcomes. Medical outcomes can be unexpected. Give me the uh, worst case then. Tell me I, I got cancer. I think <laughs> I think sometimes also it's easy to misdiagnose injuries. You know, like sometimes there's too much swelling and they'll go in and they'll do an MRI or whatever sure. and they won't be able to see everything or they'll do an x-ray and they won't see a fracture and then the player will come back in two weeks and say it still hurts and then they'll go in with a more sensitive test and they'll see okay yeah there's a fracture there you you have a broken you know you have a hairline fracture you have a stress right. fracture right so I think I already dipped on what I think is realistic and that's I think I would expect them to be between picking 10 and 20. And I know that's a wide range. It's almost, do you think they're going to pick top 10? Do you think they're going to pick in the teens? Or do you think they're picking in the 20s, right? Or well, what's three a win scenarios? total? You think seven and nine seven, is realistic? Yeah. I think seven and nine, I don't know if that's realistic. I think six and 10, seven and nine is the realistic aim. I want to believe seven and nine could definitely happen. I, I, and I do think there is a small portion. It's almost like a Venn diagram, right? Where I think there is a small portion where we end up on the positive end of these outcomes where things click, and they did hire Sean McVay, right? And and, and they're going to hit the ground running, and even if it takes a couple weeks to get their, their legs under them, they find themselves fighting yeah. for a playoff spot or in the playoffs. doesn't mean so, they're going to win anything, because first-year guys don't win anything, but it means they could be right back to where we expected them to be. So is it fair to say the range of your expectations is somewhere between six and nine wins? Yeah, that's fine. That is fair. Six being, you know, bell curve kind of, you know? Yeah, yeah. I agree, and I, and I think there's a chance for five, and I think there's a chance for ten, but I definitely think the bulk would be between six, seven, eight. Yeah, bell curve. You know, your, your most yep. likely outcome is seven, and then it goes down from there. Yep, I would agree. With, with you know, probably fairly equal standard distributions or whatever that yep. standard deviations, that one. Mm -hmm. um, I think I agree with that. The, the most likely outcome scenario involves probably an average to below average defense, which I think is probably – what we're expecting right now, unless Lou Anarumo is a much better defensive coordinator than I think he is, because there is right. talent on the oh, defensive yeah. side of the ball. The safeties are good. The corners are probably slightly above average for the league, right? Average Especially in terms average. of depth. Yeah. Uh, the, the defensive line, again, we're going to go into the season thinking it should be a strength. Right. Whether it plays out the same way as it did last year when everyone was confused and running around like, headless chickens we'll we'll have to see but i think that makes for a below average to above average to, to to average defense i should say and there's there's a scenario where it's above average too i think the world in which it's a great defense involves a lot of players taking leaps that we don't necessarily expect yeah i think it would be i think it's more likely they end up with a an above average or really good defense than repeating what happened last year for the first 12 games because that was historically bad and chances that you do that again extremely low just based off odds right and, and luck and, and history but I do think that looking at data and I, if I, I think I'm pretty close to remember this correctly that defenses as a whole and there may be one two or three teams that can seem to find a way to feel a good defense every year or most years 
it's very up and down from team to team from year to year. Like you can go from being a top 10 defense one year to having the 20th defense the next year and have mostly the same players and the same coaching staff. It can be very volatile in terms of your rankings and the way they rank them is kind of silly anyways, being yards. But anyways, so there is a good chance that they have a productive defense, but there, I think there is an equal chance that this defense is what I think we view it as, as underachieving because of, the coaching hires and because I think they've got a weird mix so far. Now, if they, if that weird mix turns out to be a weird mix in a good way, because I think the best defenses are, are a bit weird and, and a bit um, fluid in the, especially their front seven, then that that's how I see a path getting to being a really good defense in year one. I think it is worth pointing out that it's not just total yards that ranked the, the Bengals defense very poorly last year. They finished 23rd in DVOA. Yeah. Uh, I think they were eighth over when Marvin Lewis took over, and most in 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 terms of points and yards, they're in top ten. If you look at weighted DVOA, this is Football Outsiders, which is uh, a value added kind of system. It's the best way to rank them. If you're talking about a total unit, I think so. If you're talking about individual players, I think PFF does a really good job. But uh, in terms of weighted DVOA, they were 27th. So that takes into account, I believe, strength of schedule. A little bit more than actually no, they both do. I'm not sure what weighted DVA versus total DVA DVOA is off the top of my head. Okay, but in any way, they were a bad defense until Marvin got them on track, I think, and uh, and they were pretty successful over those final well, what was it six weeks or so? They had worse competition, and, and they weren't playing against the Chiefs and the and the Saints the way oh Terrell Austin was, but. Uh, they did get it back into shape. So that does give me hope that if Anna Rumo is a fine defensive coordinator signing, and remember they didn't have him for a long time, uh, if he works out, then, yeah, they could have a top or even middle. I would even take a 15th, 16th ranked defense right now and feel good about that. Yeah. And then the offense, I think, has a, has a higher ceiling. You have all these offensive yeah. coaches in the building. You have a ton of investment in the offensive line. You have A.J. Green coming back healthy. You have Tyler Eifert coming back healthy. You have a hopefully competent third running back if needed. Right. So there's pieces all over the place, I think, on there's the offensive talent. side of the ball. Yeah. yeah. Lots of talent. Talent that's been on winning teams, too. Their skill positions are as talented as they've ever had, in my opinion. And that's because I do think you can get much more out of Green. And now, would you say Marvin Jones or Mohamed Sanu versus Ross and and and, uh, and Boyd? Well, Boyd is better than Sanu completely. Uh, I think if Ross takes even a marginal step, he gives you a lot of what you get for a number three receiver in terms of you know that comparison. So I think a healthy Eifert, if he can stay healthy, there is a lot of upside for this offense. And Joe Mixon, I'm thinking of that 2015 offense. They didn't have a Joe Mixon, mm-hmm. you know that. Uh, that's a unique weapon that they, if they plan to ride and feed them in the passing game, that gives them the new heights. Now the old line is the biggest difference. We've talked about that to death, but weapons wise, I think this is as talented as you can ask for. Mixon's probably their most talented individual running back since Corey Dillon, right? Yeah. And maybe I, I, I said this when they drafted him, maybe more because of the receiving aspect. I yeah. mean, at Oklahoma and the man, way the league has just, changed, right? Yeah. You, there's just so many more ways to get him involved and and use him as a weapon than than it was in past. Well, he's never carried the load the way Dylan has for an entire season either. Yeah. So different Mixon, kinds of players, right? Yeah, even though he's big, he just you know it's different era, different football. But yeah. the receiving well, the, aspect, I, I want to see them get Mixon more in the Christian McCaffrey Me too. track, where you get him the ball as a receiver. Christian McCaffrey had over a hundred receptions last year, didn't he? Yeah. Oh yeah. So, something bonkers. He doesn't need to have 100 receptions, but give him like 50 opportunities to, to catch the ball. I'm saying 70 targets, 50 catches, something like that. Right? Running backs have a pretty high catch percentage. Keep him yeah. around, you know, 200 carries because you have other guys that can take carries too. Yep. Uh, you have a pretty talented player there. So let's talk the the best case. This This case involves an offensive line that probably looks something like Jonah Williams, Clint Bowling, probably Billy Price, who's become now an average center. Your right guard is Westerman or is John Miller. And then Cordy Glenn has a successful transition to right tackle. And suddenly your offensive line is average to average plus, assuming the Clint Bowling isn't just out of gas at this point in his career playing, playing with some other bad offensive lines. 
This involves John Ross taking a step. It involves Tyler Eifert being healthy. It involves Joe Mixon being healthy. It involves A.J. Green being healthy. So then at that point, the offense all just comes together. Maybe Zach Taylor finds a new way to use John Ross. It isn't just deep balls and slants and using him in the red zone, which, I mean, I hope he actually continues the way they use John Ross in the red zone because he was very productive there. But you got to find ways to get him productive between the 20s. And the big plays, right? Because we want those splash plays out of Ross. Ross even said this during voluntary camp that, yeah, the touchdowns were good. You know, the, the things he were he was able to accomplish were good. But until he starts to be a, a big play threat consistently, he doesn't feel like he's basically providing what they drafted. And I think yeah. I think a lot of people agree with that. And I, and I love that self-awareness by him. But, uh, yeah, and that kind of goes back to our poll question. If Jonah Williams hits a decent level as a rookie and there's – many different levels you could play at as a rookie tackle. I went over this last five years looking at at, at numbers and uh it's it's a mixed bag, but you get a lot of guys in the first that are first round picks that are able to play and compete and give you uh your best offensive line play and it happened for a lot of teams. So if that happens, John Ross takes a step, Billy Price becomes an average center, and then William Jackson also is on this poll question if he becomes who we think he is. You have a very, very good team, and you look even look in the second round with uh, Mixon, Bates, Boyd, and if Sample can help, I think that this is your young nucleus, obviously. But if they all hit their stride, and it's not unreasonable, unreasonable, it'd be one of those things that if it happened, then you are setting yourself up for a playoff or a Super Bowl window. That may not happen in 2019, but uh, mostly because right, our high end cap here is probably not a deep. Super Bowl run, right? Because the first time head coach, first year head coach, that doesn't happen, I don't think, if I'm remembering correctly. But uh, yeah, so I think a, a playoff visit or a playoff win is the high end of the best case scenario. So that's the upside. There's a chance they get back into the playoffs in the first year. There's a chance that everything lands as Sean McVay did in L.A. And that's the comparison that we're going to keep making for Zach Taylor because that's where he comes from. And he's, he's another young guy. We're not going to talk about the young guys that the Bengals have hired or the young guys that have flamed out elsewhere in the league. We're going to talk about, hopefully, the fact that Zach Taylor has, and the players have talked about this, a very consistent and strong image a strong vision for what he wants the Bengals to be. And you just have to see if he can go out there and execute it. Yeah. I think there's a lot of players on this roster that can play better than what we've seen. And it's funny because I, I put up the expected depth chart after the draft and I had writers and, and analysts from other teams in other cities say, well, actually that roster is a little bit better than I expected. A lot of these guys are draft guys, right? So they know the talent because they've scouted these guys, whether it be, yeah. you know, three, four, five years ago. Uh, so they look at it and they go, oh man, you know, I forgot that guy is is there or man, they, they really need to get something out of Jordan Willis. And the uh, one that stuck out to me was a, a Bills guy. He, he does their um, does their radio, Sal Capaccio. And he goes, man, that roster is a lot better than expected. And this is from, I was listening to them on sports radio and, and they were lining up looking at the schedule, which we will do this week also. And they were going through the Bills schedule and saying, oh, yeah, the Bengals, that should be a win for the Bills. That's what they're saying, their expectations. Right. So from an outside perspective, the Bengals, they've been poor three years in a row. They should continue that with a head coach that really I don't think we're, we're probably the only ones. Maybe some people in L.A. Uh, believe in Zach Taylor. Right. Or, or are hopeful for Zach Taylor. So. Uh, I think when other teams look at this roster and, and you and you see it, and if Zach Taylor can get the m- most out of a lot of these players or a good chunk of this roster, this team quickly becomes a much better uh, version of themselves. I said the last couple of years they were the worst version of themselves. I think there's a very real scenario that they play above that this year, especially health contingent. If the health works yeah. out, that's a that's a huge factor, as it is for any NFL team. How you deal with it too, though, right? Oh Marvin yeah, Lewis I mean, we, and those we talked teams about dealing this. with health. Yeah, and we talked about this yesterday when we started talking about, you know, when Cody Core has to step in there at wide receiver, they're not getting anything out of him. You got to get something out of the guys that step in. Yep. You know, they're they're running Hardy Nickerson out as their first linebacker off the bench. And we talked about that all season last year and it drove us you know, all crazy. My least favorite mantra of football is next man up. I hate it. I, I don't think the next man up comes in and gives you the same production as the starter for obvious no. reasons. There's a but, reason he's not the starter. So what you do is you change your your system. You change your scheme. You find ways to get that guy to help you rather than, 
Hardy Nickerson, you fill in for Vontez Perfect. We're going to keep on chugging. Or Cody Core, you go out there for A.J. Green. You just run those A.J. Green routes, and I hope you get open. Because now you're playing 10 on 11. I don't think that's what it means. I think it means that the next man up just has to be ready to go out there and be confident. But you're right that the Bengals implemented it They felt it like it way. did. Right. I'm, not, I'm not saying I, – I, so I, I get your, your issue with the saying. I think the saying is you got to be ready. That's that's the way I interpret it. I don't think that's, that's the way the Bengals necessarily too. use it. And then I got cynical with how the Bengals use their backups in those situations where I'd be like, why are you doing this? This isn't what this guy can do. Does anybody – do the coaches in the front office have a complete disconnect that they don't realize this, well, this guy can't do that? Maybe they do. But now you hear that Duke yep. Tobin and Zach Taylor are unanimous on everything and, and just key. see everything the same way. And yep. the reason that you can get excited is because you listen to the players talk about it and they all seem to think that Zach Taylor knows how they should work. Yeah. See, even even Bobby Hart after they picked Jonah Williams, Zach Taylor's a genius. I know. <laughs> Doesn't it make you go, "What are they planning to do?" Seven Six linemen. offensive linemen, right? <laughs> Get I all the same there. thing. You're going to line yeah. up with Andy Dalton, Joe Mixon, and nine offensive linemen. Let's go. Here's a, here's a guy that could think his job is being replaced or his spots being being taken with a with a first round pick, and instead, his first reaction publicly, at least, is the coach is a genius. I that's, love that confidence. That's, that's interesting. I, <laughs> yeah, I can't wait to see what that means. Right. I wonder. That's, I wonder if any of the beat guys asked him. Probably. I wonder too. He probably because didn't you know I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna send him a message and ask him what he means on that because I had too many jokes for that situation. But uh, <laughs> but it is interesting that that's the first reaction. Yeah. Well, that'll probably do it for us here on the Lockdown Bengals podcast. We're gonna do a second mailbag tomorrow. We have. Uh, had a lot of questions, so we're going to take a few more tomorrow, but we are also going to be talking about the schedule. And there's one other thing I said we would talk about tomorrow, Joe. Do you remember what it is? Kicking and punting, because we love it. We're going to talk about what we thought of other teams' drafts. We're going to talk about kicking and punting? I'm going to punt that one to the middle of July when things are really dead. We'll talk about kicking and punting. I want to learn about kicking and punting. Maybe Can we bring on a special teams expert? Call up Darren Simmons. <laughs> exactly. Has anyone ever requested Darren Simmons for an interview? Because I think we should. I'll I'll ask Mike Renner who who the PFF person is for kickers and punters. Something that we can talk about next Tuesday. Mike Renner is going to be on the show, so look forward to that. And we're going to be bringing in a bunch of guests. Joe, you're pointing at me like you have a guest too. No, I just think that's a fantastic idea for a kicker and punter. But we do have Brandon Thorne, who is an offensive line guru expert, and he work, works for now just hired by the Athletic Denver. Uh, so we'll have him on next week also because he's a big fan of Jonah Williams, and he said he would dig in more on Michael Jordan before he comes on. So a lot to look forward to next week and tomorrow. We'll get another thread up for your questions. We're not going to take a ton of them again. We'll maybe take about 10 or, 10 or so because we have a couple other things to talk about as well. Anyway, that's been the Lockdown Bengals podcast. Remember, we are sponsored by the generous and excellent Abco Safety. Go give them a look at abcosafety.com and give them a call at 513-672-1818 to get 15% off your order when you mention Lockdown Abco. Have a good one, Bengals fans. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.